It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, August the 14th. I'm your host, Mike Silva. If you want to listen to the show all the time, go to MetsamorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. Love to hear from you. Hope everybody's doing well. Another week in the books and uh, pennant race baseball, if that's what you want to call it, is uh, upon us. And I know what you guys probably want me to do for this program, and um, I'm not going to do it, which is what you want me to talk about, how the Mets have won two in a row, their first winning streak in a, in a month, over a month. Uh, I've got Noah Wolf from MetsamorizedOnline.com coming on a little bit, and, and, and he was down in Brooklyn, and maybe we could talk about some prospects and things like that. And we'll get to that, and we'll see what Noah has to say about a bunch of stuff. But uh, you know, I'm going to start out here. Really simply saying that, you know, first off, if, if the Mets had come into today's podcast as an under 500 team, I wouldn't want to hear anything about a wild card race or pennant race. Teams under 500 are not in any race. I don't care what the math says. In the two wild card system, there's a lot of teams that mathematically are still in it. You know, the Phillies and the Colorado Rockies are teams that could still say they're quote unquote in it technically. But when you're an under 500, you're not in it. Well, that's not the case with the Mets. Here is they've won two games in a row, and two of their, uh, uh, you know, two of the three aces pitched really well this week, and in, in Degrom and Mats uh, to get the Mets back over 500. But I said this back my first episode, and I've said it a, a, a thousand times, and I'll get into the Terry Collins rant and things like that. Repeating is hard. I went through all the teams that have repeated, whether it's been by winning a World Series or a pennant since probably the late late 70s. One of my first podcasts doing Talking Mets, it wasn't that many teams. And those that did repeat, it was hard. And Mike Stanton, who pitched for the Yankees, uh, was on a Sweeney Murdy podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I was listening to him. And he even said, even when you win and you get to the zenith, the next spring training, you come back, you're like, oh, I got to go through all that again. It's hard. It's so easy to say, hey, you know what? I just, I don't have it in me. When you lose, it's even harder because you've got to go through everything again to just get back to the damn playoffs to be able to compete for what you did not accomplish. And I, I'll continue to say this unless something really changes. It doesn't matter because it's in the books. The Mets did not come into 2016 prepared to defend a pennant. The Mets came into 2016 to see how things were going to go. They were going to play it by ear, hopefully get hot at the right time, make the playoffs, and then, make, then, then get serious and make a run. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I don't want to hear about the injuries because you know what? The Mar- Miami Marlins just lost their slugger, Mike Stanton, for the year. They're still going to come and compete and play, I'm pretty sure. For as bad as we talk about Don Mattingly, every time I watch the Marlins play, and that's a joke organization led by a clown, corrupt owner in Jeffrey Loria. They play hard. And, and, you know, it is clear, especially after what Terry Collins said to the media after they got throttled by an Arizona Diamondbacks team that got throttled in Boston this weekend. A Red Sox team that's probably not that much better, but I know record-wise not that much better than the Mets and have their own issues, just absolutely throttled them. And they had to eke out a couple of wins against the Padres team that's dead in the water, that in t- times, other than a, a batter or two, couldn't hit their way out of a paper bag at home. Teams like Arizona and San Diego at times looked like they had more energy than they did is a total reflection on, you know what, I put a lot of this on the field staff because that's the easy place to go. They're there day in and day out. I'll go on the front office. Maybe they didn't bring in the right kind of guys in this clubhouse at times because, 
and I'm going to get to the clip. I know you've heard it, but it's really important for me to play it. If here in August Terry Collins is playing, um, shall I say, not playing, is talking about players not grinding out at bats and not coming to play, that was a conversation and something that should have been nipped in the bud back in March, at the very latest in April and May. And, it, and that has nothing to do with record. That has nothing to do with where they are in the standings, how far up they are, how far down they are. That has to do with process. That has to do with you as a manager understanding that bad process will lead to a bad outcome no matter what you see in the standings, no matter how good guys are playing, no matter how, how, how good their batting average is or their ERA. It will come back to haunt you. And clearly, you had the veil of the clubhouse lifted up this week by Terry Collins when he basically told the media, and let's go to the clip now, that the Mets are a team that wasn't grinding out at, grinding out at bats this season, and a team that wasn't coming to play every day. Let's listen to this real quick. I don't care who's not here. There are no excuses here. These are Major League Baseball players. I don't care where they came from. I don't care how they got here. The names on their back and on the front of their uniforms say they're a Major League Baseball player. It starts with them. And when you come and when you owe what you do, you owe a responsibility to the fans, our fan base, the organization, and to yourself the respect for this game to come out and grind it out, whether it's hot or whether it's freezing cold. And that's where it's got to start. And I, don't, I know hitting's hard. Believe me. That's why you guys are sitting there and there and there. If it was easy, we'd be watching you guys play. It's not easy. And, yes, some guys are having a bad time, and whoa, you, can, you cannot say woe is me at this level. You cannot do it. Everybody's too good here. Nobody feels sorry for you because everybody's been humbled. And those who get out of it stay here a long time. Those who don't, you keep looking up, and they keep getting a little time here and a little time there, but they don't stay. I want the ones who can stay. There's, be, there's got to be a passion to come and play. There's got to be a sense of, you know, this is what I do for a living. The people that pay to see me play are going to see my best effort. Now, we're going to get our ass beat again. Don't ever mistake it because that's part of the game here. You're going to get beat, and you're going to get beat bad sometimes. But you need to pick yourself up and move on, and that's what baseball players do. I am a team guy. I believe in team, just as you guys do. You write a bad story, it's about the paper. It's about where you came from. Everybody's in it, and I believe that. Today's game, it's going to happen again. But I know one thing. Starting tomorrow, we're back fresh. Starting tomorrow, we're going to get after it here. And those who don't want to get after it, I will find somebody else who does. Because in Las Vegas, there's a whole clubhouse full of guys who want to sit in this room. And I'll find them. There's so much there with that co- with those comments. First, I'll give you the, the Collins part. I told you guys, I've been going at this on Twitter. Sometimes I have too much fun with it and drive you guys nuts. This guy should have never been the manager. Out of all the guys that were interviewed back in 2010, Clint Hurdle, Bob Melvin, Wally Backman, who was my pick, and Collins, he was the worst pick. Hadn't managed in the big leagues in a while, got ran out of Anaheim, got ran out of Japan. I know he was in the organization, and he was a a minor league coordinator. That's where he belongs. I'm sure he's good at that. I know they use the term baseball lifer as a term that drives me nuts because baseball lifer only tells me you've been employed in the game. That doesn't mean you're a good manager whether you're qualified for the job that you have. Lifer means nothing. It means you've existed. Anybody could be a lifer. So let, let me get that out there, and I've said that. Collins and that basically indicted himself and said a lot of things that made sense. The first indictment is, is that you know he heard the rumblings about him. Just a couple of nights before, typical Terry Collins 
Robles in the game, one-run lead. Robles struggling a little bit with the strike zone. And you know this is a guy that just a week earlier was rattled by Mark Teixeira with some Bush league antics. Guy gets rattled quick. is a bit of a thrower. Has been better this year. Give him credit. But I still don't trust him in a big spot. You have a lefty and Michael Bourne, veteran hitter up. That's where you have this $4 million a year lefty situational guy in Blevins. That's when you bring him in. Not the week prior when you have uh, bring him in for Brett Gardner and Jacoby Ellsbury uh, when you have Addison Reed, who doesn't need a lefty specialist, as you saw today against the Padres, to get out of an inning. And sure enough, Bourne gets the big hit, set the tone, Mets lose. They lose the next trainings again the next night, and away you go, and the series went to crapola. And I really believe the series, the tone of the series, even though baseball a lot of times is, is, is night to night, was set with that, and that's a managerial move, was set with that play. And I could go throughout the last five or six years, he just struggles with a feel for the game. He's awful at bullpen management. The second issue, and it goes right back into this, because I've got a quote here from the next day. So Collins calls out his team. He calls out his players, basically saying they don't hustle, you know, I didn't even go into the whole thing when he talked about Neil Walker. Now, Neil Walker was the only guy who was hustling past now 90 feet. Uh, they don't grind out at bats. And the statistics bear that out. They don't grind out at bats. They are in the bottom half of the league, well, below league average in walks. So this is not a team. This is an organization that all I've heard for, for years, they teach from top to bottom, grind out at bats, work the count. Say what you want about when Chicago came to City Field. The Mets blew them away in a couple of games. There's a couple, but even in the games that were close, there's a team that grinds that Mats out. I mean, you had probably the two hardest saves that Familia will have in his entire career. And part of that was because they, 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 they make contact. They, even in, when, when Familia was, was, you know, they swung at some of Familia's tough sliders, they were, they were tough outs. They're tough outs. They, 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 they grind those at bats out. You know, Ben Zobris is a perfect example of how the Cubs play. The Mets don't do that. Now, maybe you could say they don't have those kind of players, but I thought this was the philosophy. I thought that's the kind of player that Granderson was. Certainly Granderson was last year, especially in the postseason. You brought Deaza in here off the, off the free agent market. Aren't those the kind of players that you want to bring in? Don't see it from Deaza. I mean, a little soon, Jay Bruce and, and his transition and what have you. Neil Walker, to a certain degree, does it. Reyes, we've seen how undisciplined he could be over the years. Darno, I'll get to in a minute because he's – I've had just about enough of Darno. But you don't see it. So if this team philosophy – if you bring players in and it's supposed to be contagious, that kind of philosophy, I don't see it. How many times this year does this team down get down 3 4 nothing? You know it's over. Turn the TV off. You know, maybe they'll have a cursory rally. Uh, let's go on to tomorrow. There's no grinding it out. There's no putting pressure on the other team. I mean these guys are not – I mean, Gernis Granderson's playing below – his career norms, Alejandro Diazza, even James Loney to a certain degree, after he got hot, has been playing very poorly lately. Uh, Walker for a while was playing below. Forget about Darno. I mean, Reyes, he's just, I mean, now you're trying to rely on guys like Bruce, who's in transition, Reyes, who hardly played this year. You're going to guys like TJ Rivera and Rene Rivera and, 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 and Ty Kelly. You know, you're just starting to now play matchups, which is like fantasy baseball. That's just not going to work. There's no flow. What happened after August 1st last year for the Mets is there was a flow. That lineup with Cespedes coming over had a flow. Now, the injuries have played into that. I understand that. But this team has never had a flow. And, and you can blame the injury, injuries, but guys, when they've been plugged in, with the exception of Loney, who up until recently really did what you expected out of him, have not been really competing night in and night out. 
If they get a lead or they bully a team, they're fine. They bully a team, they're great. They get three, four home runs, they're good to go. Because the starting pitchers will give you six innings, and then you got your eight and nine uh, uh, settled. I mean, you're really asking. I mean, think about this with Collins. He talks about them not grinding, and then he talks about team and how it's a team thing when you know, he's trying to deflect from himself. Because he's asked on a nightly basis to get three outs, really. Critically, critically get three outs. That's usually the seventh inning. And if Robles is on, it's Robles, and you clean, and then you got Reed and Familia. But if it's not, you got to think a little bit. He couldn't even do that the other night. He, he can't do his job criticizing the players, basically saying they're not grinding out at bats. They're not taking the job seriously. And he acts like he's a spectator, just like you or I watching this. This starts with him. This starts with a guy. I mean, they went two weeks without winning a game in spring training. They played poorly in spring. They didn't hit in spring. This is a, a pitching staff that doesn't hold people on. This is a catcher that's all screwed up. That all falls on them. Where's the fundamentals? I mean, Granderson, a veteran, poor fundamentals, top to bottom. I mean, we criticize Murphy, and it's certainly a big difference not having Murphy up the middle. But this team does not play at times fundamentally sound. They're sloppy at times. They don't come to play every day. That's on the manager. And let me ask you this, guys. You're all feeling good. The Mets have won two in a row. They had a nice extra inning win last night. Matt's almost made history throwing the second no-hitter in team uh, history today. Came close. You know, a little bit of bad luck. Guy, you know, uh, Ramirez got his bat out and met the ball, and the ball just stayed fair. It happens. But what makes you think that this team is going to go on this road trip, 10-game road trip, Arizona, San Francisco, St. Louis. Two contending teams, one all surrounded, just kicked their rear end, and they're going to come back still in the race. They've got Miami ahead of them. They've got Pittsburgh ahead of them. They've got, but they've got to get ahead of Miami, Miami and Pittsburgh before they even think about St. Louis, who plays in the Central and outside of the Cubs is going to, in September, be playing teams like the Pirates, so those teams are going to zero each other out depending on where you are. The Brewers, who are probably going to be out of it, or, or are going to be out of it. Who knows how hard they're going to play? The Reds, forget about it. So you're going to have you, – you could talk all you want. Like everyone says, well, 19 of the last 30 against bad teams. They're not beating bad teams. They didn't beat any bad teams this homestand. You think a switch is going to go on between now and when they get off the plane in Arizona tomorrow? And this team's going to go out on a West Coast trip in the dog days of August and play well. And by the way, the manager – who has been a deer in the headlights in the most obvious of situations to play matchups with the bullpen is going to do right by them and make the big move. Pitchers who can't hold anybody on. You know, Noah Syndergaard has completely lost himself. He talks about how he's aiming instead of throwing. Where's the pitching coach? Why is there such lack of confidence on this team? I understand it's a sophomore season for guys like Mads and Syndergaard, and even DeGrom, who's, who's been here a little bit longer, had to, had to go through some of his, his learning curve after a successful season, but where is the coaching staff? And you know who really is, is symbolic of all this is Travis Darno. We talk about injuries to Ligaris and Cespedes, who will be back later this week, and Duda and so on. But guys who are here, like Granderson, did not step up. Guys like uh, 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 Flores at times have not stepped up. Up until recently, the only one who really has, and he just started, was Neil Walker. You really needed Travis Darno when he, he's 27 years old. He's been, quote-unquote, a prospect for a while now to step up. And here he is. If you look at his metrics, he is a negative value to this club. 
Kevin Ploiecki, who was a negative, negative value, had a negative .1 war, Kevin Ploiecki, is more valuable than Travis Darno, who's a negative .4 war, if you believe in the war against – war uh, uh, wins over replacement. Negative. Rene Rivera, who is a scrappy nothing, that in spring training you figured was that guy down in Vegas that would help with the pitchers and only be called up if there was a rash of injuries, has been better and is a better option. Now, I've been critical of his stance, so this is the best part, is that I said, you know, I look at Darno's stance and I see the bat facing the pitcher. I'm like, how the hell is he going to hit? Now, to be fair, I went back and looked at some video from the playoffs last year. He was doing the same thing. So, you know, I guess he's been successful before. But he's really and – and I'm going to give you the quote. Um, Darno basically quotes Bruce Lee saying practice one kick 10,000 times rather than multiple kicks 10,000 times to really talk about how he's not going to play around with his batting stance. Um, but essentially Kevin Long, and this is a, an article by Kevin Kernan from uh, the New York Post uh, yesterday. Essentially, Kevin Long said that it, the bat's inevitably going to go forward. So no matter what they've done to try to straighten the bat out, you know, take away the motion, it's going to go forward. He's given up on that, so we just got to perfect what really is a flawed Swing. So now I'm asking myself, hmm, this sounds familiar. This sounds like Ike Davis. Ike Davis had a lot of success. Eventually, the league caught up to him. Not only is his bat forward and put a lot of motion into the play, but now his swing is long. You have a double negative here. How the heck is this guy ever going to hit consistently? Forget about hitting good pitching. They're going to they're gonna blow the ball by, right by you. Yeah, you'll, you'll walk into some fastballs and hit home runs and hit the ball hard. But what you get is a 240 hitter. Very little power, doesn't drive any runs in, has an OPS plus of 70, which is below league average, which you could probably bring up just about any minor league catcher who's been in the league a zillion years and get better production than Travis Darno right now. The only thing that keeps him in the big leagues is his name. And you know what? They tried to trade him already. They were, gonna, they were ready, willing, and able to trade him for Jonathan Lucroy, but it sounds like the Brewers wanted Zach Wheeler and the Mets said no, which now – Thinking about it, now that Wheeler's going back to uh, get his elbow checked out, maybe that was a dumb move because there's another guy with his mechanics that uh, I wonder if he'll ever be anything. Process, guys. Process. That's all I'm talking about here. That's all I'm talking about. The process with Darno is bad. How much longer are we going to wait? This guy, if this guy is not on Ike Davis' track, I don't know what is. Now, Kevin Ploiecki is hitting down in Vegas. I don't know if that's because he's a 4A hitter. Um, he'll probably be up in September. Maybe he gets a little bit of look, but I, I don't see anything here with Travis Darno. Nothing. I, I really don't. I don't see how he's ever going to be anything more than a mediocre, probably headed to backup catcher status. Will always be the guy that they say, oh, he had potential, but he never lived up to it. He's 27 years old. Conforto, you know, I don't know what to say about that guy. Uh, not giving up on him. He's still young. From what I was told, they screwed around with him a little bit with his swing, and it looks like it's one of those years that he's just never going to get it back, probably putting a lot of pressure on himself. He should have probably spent the rest of the summer in AAA. Come up in September, they decided to try to bring him back. They really needed him. Now with Jay Bruce, it's not quite as as, as much of a uh, a need. And they don't think he's the Mets because then they throw him in center field. You're asking the guy now to learn a new position, get his swing. I mean, psychologically, this makes no sense. So it's great to hear that Terry Collins rants and raves and calls the team out. And everyone's like, oh, look at Terry going at, going at his plays. Well, he should have done that months ago. And there are so many issues here, guys. So anytime they win or even the littlest winning streak, 
How do you feel long range? They have been playing under 500 since May 1st. They have shown you no, no ability to win a big series. None. They played well against the, Car- the Cubs when the Cubs were in their worst stretch of the year. They didn't come up big twice against the Nationals. After earlier in the year, they split games. They went and fell like a house of cards to the Nationals. The Nationals kicked them in their rear end, and the Mets haven't been heard from since. So forget about the division. Now the Pirates are in play. Now the Marlins are still sticking around. No Stanton. Nah, I, I'm guarantee you they're going to still stick around because they're young enough and dopey enough and cocky enough and, and annoyingly cocky enough to stick around. The Cardinals are a veteran team. You know, when those teams start finding their way late in the season after you've let them hang around, really tough to, uh, to beat. And then you've got the team that's leading the wild card that you'd have to play. You'd have to go into L.A. that doesn't have Clayton Kershaw, which is the Dodgers. Another ex-Met, Justin Turner, having an MVP year. Where were these guys' bats when they were here between Murphy and Turner? Could use Murphy first, Turner third, and then the Mets would be in some really good offensive shape at that point. But, but I digress. So um, really, at the end of the day, this is it, guys. This is the road trip. They come back in shambles. And really, is 5-5 five and five even good enough on this 10-game trip? I don't know. I, don't, I mean, these other two teams are not uh, nothing great shakes, but at some point, one of them is going to get hot. You really got to go and try to win every series. I don't think they could go in San Francisco and win three out of four. I don't think they could beat Arizona two out of three. That's the easiest series. And St. Louis, I don't think they could do that either. I really don't. They got John Neese now every five days. God help if Cologne starts to fall apart. Every five days, you got John Neese who's probably going to give you a mediocre outing. He did it last year. You had to hit your way through a lot of his starts. They can't score. So I don't know. You got ten starts, I, 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 ten games. I, I just don't see. I don't see how um, this is going to end well. And very well at this time next week, you'll be deep into this road trip. Seven of the ten games, the game will be on late next Sunday. So we'll have our podcast before the night game, probably earlier on a Sunday. Um, but you'll, you'll know a lot about the Mets next week. They very well might be done next week, and then we're going to be talking next year. And the only thing that's stopping me right now from talking next year, which if we had this podcast three, four days ago, if the Collins ran, I was all ready to it is that they won a couple of games against San Diego, which is not job well done. It's like what they were supposed to do. So let's see. Was the, is the Mats near no-hitter a step in the right direction? Was the wild win in a game that Familia blew a save, and then they got a break on a double play ball with the second baseman threw the ball away? Is that something they could take? We'll see. But so far, the Mets have not shown you the ability to be anything more than a 500 team at best that ultimately came to the season ill-prepared to defend their uh, pennant. And that falls on the manager, that falls on the coaching staff, and I'll tell you what, they don't make the playoffs, there is no way they could come back with this coaching staff and make me feel good come spring training. And I don't want to hear any of you tell me otherwise. Because this is all on them. They're the ones, if the players aren't grinding it out, that all falls on the manager. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, uh, you'll hear uh, from Noah Wolf from MetsMarsDialon.com. He was out in Brooklyn get his thoughts on the upcoming road trip, uh, talk a little bit about the Mets, his thoughts, where this team is at, and uh, you know we'll get some of his take here so that you guys don't just have to listen to me go on and on and on. But anyway, we'll be right back right after this. Hit over the bag. That's a fair oh. ball. And Ramirez breaks up the no-hit bid. He'll try for two. No, he'll slam on the brakes and settle for a single. A late swing hit right over oh. the bag. And after Stephen Max went seven and a third with a no-hitter, Alexi Ramirez breaks it up with one out of the eight. And here comes Terry. Oh, what a shame. What a shame. 
What a performance. Got John Matlack's number. Now, Stephen was magnificent this afternoon. Pitcher since Santana to take a no-hit bit into the eighth. Matt falls just five outs short. We're back. Talking Mets, Mike Silva here. And joining us live from MCU Park in Brooklyn. I didn't know he was going to be there live. He's been spending the weekend there. Uh, you can check him out on MetsmerizedOnline.com, uh, on Twitter, at Noah Wolf. It's Noah Wolf. Uh, at, 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 at I, Noah Wolf, I should say. Noah, Mike Silva, how you doing? What's going on there? Good. How are you, Mike? Can't, can't complain. Uh, yeah. down in Brooklyn. Give me an idea. What's going on down there? Well, right now the Cyclones are uh, locked in a pretty tight duel with West Virginia. It's one nothing right now here at the top of the fifth. Cyclones are actually being one hit right now. Uh, Gabriel Giannis' prospect is on the mound for them, pitching well, but uh, so far, no run support, and that really hasn't been a theme this past weekend. Uh, when I was here on Friday, Cyclones exploded for 14 runs, which in the New York Penn League, which has been pretty pitching-dominated from what I can gather, that was really something. Yeah, and, and that park, um, MCU Park, used to be Keyspan Park in Brooklyn. Not an easy park to hit. I mean, you got the, 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 the beach right there, the water, sometimes the wind blows it in. The ball doesn't carry out there, so I'm not surprised, although... With the way the Mets have been hitting, being one of their affiliates being one hit, that just fits right in to the lack of offense that's been the uh, been the story of 2016. But in all seriousness, with the Cyclones, there's been some interesting players. I'm, I'm glad you're down there because, um, you know, let's start with the pitchers. There's two pitchers, uh, first-round pick Justin Dunn, and, and a name that came up quite a bit as the Mets were uh, banding about trying to make a deal on the, t- uh, the deadline was Thomas Zaspucky. Um Talk a little bit. What are, you, what are you getting out of some of the prospects that are out there at, uh, in Brooklyn? Well, Dunn came out on Thursday and absolutely looked amazing. Uh, he went three no-hit innings, struck out six, and was topped out at 97. He was really sharp, commanding his pitches uh, all throughout the zone. He had a showed a good breaking ball. I mean, his fastball is really exploding out of his hand, too. And just the main concern with him right now is just stretching him out into being a starter. In college, he only threw 125 innings. By comparison to Bucky, who we're going to get to in just a little bit, has thrown 125 innings last year. And since Dunn was a reliever, he really didn't get that experience, didn't build up that arm strength. So right now, that's the key for him, making that transition into a starter. As for Sapucky, uh he went five and a third on Friday, three hits, four earned runs, and struck out 10. He's currently striking out about 15 batters for nine innings. He's absolutely tearing up the Brooklyn, uh, the New York Penn League. And uh, Tom Gamboa, I spoke to him uh, on Friday after his lucky pitch, said there's just some guys on this team that are really just too good for this league, and he did not hesitate to put Sapucky on that list. Interesting. and But that's the M.O. of the Mets. They do tend to try to stack the team a little bit to win the New York Penn League. Now, offensively, um, I know he's out for the year, but Peter Alonso, uh, you know, I was looking at it, uh, first baseman, 21 years old, has some pop, uh, finished hitting uh, 321 with five home runs. I know everyone says, oh, well, five home runs. Again, in the New York Penn League, home runs are not I mean, it's really something. So if, 
Yeah, that's that's a big deal in the New York Penn League. Um, again, I haven't seen him play. Anything that you can give us on the offensive side of the ball? I bring up Alonzo, Desmond Lindsay, 19-year-old. He's hitting really well. Uh, give me some names there um, that you've uh, heard this weekend on the offensive side. Well, you, you mentioned Alonzo, who's been hurt, and, I mean, that was a big blow losing for the team. Desmond Lindsay, who actually on Friday tied a, a team record with seven runs batted in, hit a monster three-run home run, uh, hit another base-clearing double, and showed power to the opposite field, which, frankly, was really impressing. A lot of the guys here are willing to still pull the ball a lot. That's what they've been done. That's what they've been doing throughout their careers so far. And this is really the first time where they've had to adjust and go the other way. Uh, if you look at Desmond Lindsay, and it's weird talking about him considering he's the same age as me and hitting 400-foot home runs at MCU Park, <laughs> uh, it, it was really something to watch. As for Alonzo, uh, he, was, he was here before he was hurt and absolutely tore the cover off the ball. He was this team's best hitter, five home runs, 21 RBIs. And I say this as a former baseball player myself, there's always on one team that one guy who's just bigger and better than everybody. I'm going to say that wasn't me during my playing days, but <laughs> Peter Alonzo definitely looked like that guy, absolutely tearing the cover off the ball, hitting line drives with authority to all fields. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, uh, he was devastated when he, when he found out that he wasn't going to play. But it was still good for him to get that uh, professional experience under his belt, playing in a stadium with a lot of, a lot of fans, especially for a single-A team. And uh, it was really great for him to get his feet wet. Absolutely. I have with me and Noah Wolf at I, Noah Wolf on uh, Twitter. You can check him out at MetsamorizedOnline.com. Uh, does some great coverage over there. Wanted to get him on the program. Been waiting to get him on the program for a few weeks. Figured what better uh, day than this weekend where he's out in Brooklyn. You know, let's get to the current team, uh, Noah. You know, I basically said in the open is this. It was nice to see a couple of wins. Uh, the near no-hitter by Matt today. Uh, a little unlucky there. Uh Ramirez, a fastball in the outside corner, ran right into it and just, just managed to get it fair the opposite way. But um, let's not make any mistake and, and all of a sudden think that all the issues that we've seen pretty much since May have gone away. Ten-game road trip coming up. Um, there's nothing. And if you're a data person, and I know it's not all about data, but statistically here, there's been no reason for me to believe that this team is going to go out there on the West Coast, Arizona, San Francisco, and St. Louis, and come back in this race. They just haven't played well recently. They played awfully on this homestand. And uh, this is really the last stand for this team. But I'm fully expecting within the next 7 to 10 days where we're kind of talking about next year, but I don't think everybody believes it. So we're going to be talking about next year and really trying to figure out how this thing went horribly bad. Now, I know I'm foreshadowing and being pessimistic, but can you blame me considering how they've played over the last you know, 90 to 120 days? Honestly, I can't. But I know I follow you on Twitter. I've listened to your podcast before. <laughs> and I do think you're a little hard on Terry Collins. And believe me, I have my own opinions on him. And I will agree with you that he is not exactly a great strategic manager. But I really liked it. We all saw his, saw his rant after that uh, really deflating 9 nothing loss to the Diamondbacks. But he took responsibility. And he could have sold out his players. I mean, it's well documented that he's playing with the team reminiscent of really what we've seen from 2009 to 2014 in these Mets lineups. But he took responsibility. He didn't put it on his players. And at the same time, I feel like he did try to light a fire under, uh, under his team, which he needed to do. But at the same time, he's also talking like a man who's trying to save his own job. 
could not have said it better myself. That's exactly what I said. I mean, here's the thing. I agree with you, and um, you know, look, this is not all on Collins, but if it's a, if it's the second week of August and you're talking and finally blowing your lid about players not hustling, grinding out, grinding out at bats, you know, I didn't even realize it. I did the numbers before the podcast today. Going into today's game. They're well above, below league average in walks. So the, the statistics show they're not grinding out at-bats. Um, and then the following day, which is typical Terry Collins, you know, he says, well, I basically the meeting we said, look, we'll be okay. I care. We're not giving up in here. Uh, these are major league players. This does not necessarily have to be rah-rah. But uh, all the things he complained about, I almost feel like these are things that have been a symptom of the problem probably as early as spring training. Yes, there's injuries. But all these other teams they're facing, the Marlins, uh, the, the Cardinals, the Pirates, they've had injuries too. So I don't want to use this as an excuse. And look, even without Matt Harvey, Noah, the pitching is still good. With Bone Spurs, Matt's is still showing you he's a really good pitcher. Uh, Syndergaard's hit a bump, but he's still pitching well enough to keep them in the game. Uh, and we all know Absolutely. that right now, to me, DeGrom is the guy. And I, I wonder if you agree with this. To me, DeGrom is the guy. If you told me I can only give one of those guys a long-term contract, Right now, DeGrom is the only one that I'd feel good giving that contract to. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting. On the topic of DeGrom, he's still under team control until he's 33. So uh, he, he looks to be a Met for at least a, a, another few years. Absolutely. And, 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 and you know, he, he reminds me a little bit of David Cohn. has that little moxie going on and, and what have you. But, um, you know, when you look at this team, so, you know, you sound like you're going to be a little more positive. You know, give us a positive feel. What what can you take away now going into this road trip? Is there a, a roadmap, in your opinion, to this team sticking around, not only being in the wild card race, but jumping now three teams? Well, today, and this was actually just a few hours ago, the news came in that Giancarlo Stanton is done for the season. And he's been a force in that Miami lineup, even struggling this early part, even struggling during the early part of the season. But with him out of the picture, I'm expecting to see Miami fade. The Mets still are only two games out, I believe, right? Yep. Yeah, in the lost column, yeah. two games out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. For the second wild yeah. card spot. And while I'm not one to put much stock in banking on the second wild card and then making an impressive run, I got to say it's plausible. But at the same time, time is running out to do it. And if something doesn't happen on this road trip, uh, I might be singing a bit of a different tune next time I come on. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 for sure. Now, have you been able to catch other uh, affiliates throughout the organization, or you've spent mainly your time in Brooklyn and, and the local uh, the local teams? Uh, mainly just my time in Brooklyn. Uh, I was looking to get out to Binghamton maybe in a few weeks. I go to school up in Syracuse, and it's an hour down the road, so who, uh, who knows? What would be cool is now there was – and who knows what's going to happen. So Sandy Alderson, who was there on Friday in Brooklyn – and if I'm not mistaken, oh, yeah. I know he's going out to Vegas, but this is that time of the year where at least I remember Omar, and I think all the general managers have done it since Omar has done it, where they do almost like that little tour of the minor league system. So I wonder if that 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 played into it. But um, you know, they're heading out to Vegas. They've talked about their affiliation, or they're going to be talking about their affiliation in Vegas. Would be nice to see them kind of make their way back up to you where your school is, and not too far, Rochester, kind of uh, become at least somewhere in the time zone. So they get players here a little bit quicker. Um, I, I tell know, you, Mike, that would that? be a dream. <laughs> that would that be a dream, would be a right? Dream. The Rochester, the old Rochester Red Wings. Uh, I thought Buffalo. I understand why they went to Toronto. There was a lot of layers to that. That that would have that was a good fit. But think about it. You got Binghamton. You'd have Rochester. 
you could actually do the shoot right up from Brooklyn all the way up to Rochester, Binghamton, and what have you. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't heard anything about that, but that would be pretty cool. At least I think that. Yeah, certainly. And especially for me personally, I would be definitely going out to Rochester if that move happened. Uh, we have Noah Wolf with us, uh, com at I Noah Wolf. Travis Darno, this is the one that um, has perplexed me. I brought him up too because he's kind of uh, symptomatic or symbolic of some of the frustrations this team has uh, laid upon the fan base here in the last few months. Here last year in the playoffs, you thought this guy was turning the corner. Look, you didn't have Mike Piazza here. I understand that. But you figured you had a guy to give you 15 to 20 home runs, 80 RBIs. You understood the health situation. He was a decent enough catcher where, you know, his framing ability we all know about. He probably could throw out a third of the runners. And he's come this year, and he's been a mess. Uh, up until recently, he wasn't throwing anybody out. Uh, he wasn't really even headsy behind the plate. And I, I know that Kevin Long was talking about his swing, and I went back and looked at some video because this really bothers me how his bat is all the way forward from the pitcher. But to tell you the truth, that's been the way he's 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 performed. I looked at video from the playoffs as late as last year. Here's the problem. I just don't know if the process, that kind of process, that kind of um, offensive way of going about it is sustainable. He's 27 years old. I hate to say this, and it's not necessarily apples to apples, but this has Ike Davis written all over it. And I have a feeling that Travis Darno is going to be that guy that we sit here in the next couple of years and say, eh, backup catcher never lived up to his potential. And, um, you know, that, that could become problematic because you were relying on offense from that position, especially with all these other guys out. Any thoughts on that? Well, I think the pressure on him must be immense. Here's a guy who, as little as three years ago, was being heralded as the second coming of Mike Piazza. And to live up to that, I mean, Travis Darno is a good player. Right now, I think he's pressing at the plate. He's essentially being pushed into a role where he has to carry this team and obviously just isn't up to the task. But at the same time, you also got to look and see he's been a little bit unlucky. His walk rate and strikeout rate have been in line with his career numbers. This year, walking in 5.5% of his at-bats and striking out at 16%. His career number is 7.8% uh, walks and 16.7% strikeouts. And if you look at that now and you look at those numbers, you're, you're looking at a guy who's essentially kept the same approach. The big thing for me is looking at his ISO, his uh, isolated power, which is slugging minus batting, batting average, and it measures his raw power. It's 101 this year, down from 159, his career mark. And a large part of that is due to his ground ball rate. He's, ground, he's hitting the ball on the ground 52% of the time this year compared to 37% last year. He's just not getting the ball elevated. And obviously, Travis Darno, he's no speedster. That's the reason for his struggles, if you, if you ask me. He's just not hitting the ball in the air, not hitting line drives into the gap, which when he's going well, like what, what, we, what we saw out of him last year, the kind of hitter who's going to drive the ball in the left center field with authority, he's just not doing that this year. You got to wonder if part of Collins' rant, I, you know, I don't know if he was singling out Darno, he certainly wasn't, but you could slide Darno maybe into a little bit of of what he was saying about getting yourself, you know, thrown underwater and 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 nobody feeling sorry for you. I mean, if you look at wins above replacement, Kevin Plawicki, who was awful in his time here, hitting a buck ninety four, has a better wins above replacement this year than Darno. I mean, Darno is a negative wins above replacement. You've got guys like Anthony Recker and Rene Rivera who are actually positive 
I understand sample size and, and all that stuff. And we could argue because exactly. I'm taking this from baseball reference. I could, I'm taking this from baseball reference. And look, I'm all about you know diving into these numbers as the next guy, but everybody's got their different way of valuing players, and that's what wins above replacement is all about. But it just goes to show he's had a bad year. And and they were willing to trade him for Lacroix. You got to wonder: Is this guy? Are, are we? They may have no choice. Are they willing to go into next season and say this is my number one catcher? Because I don't know if you can between the injury history and and the disappointment in performance. I wonder if this is a guy that I don't know if Flawicky could uh, uh, take the job away from him because even though he's playing well in Vegas, to me that's still four A feel. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, as of now, I gotta say Darno is the starting catcher, and this might come as alarming to some, but who else do they have? You, you said it perfectly. They're not gonna hand the job to Fluecki, and Rene Rivera, as good as his defense is, isn't the kind of guy I want catching two thirds, three quarters of my games. I gotta think this off season, if they bring in somebody, and literally any caliber, any quality major league catcher, I gotta think that he's going to challenge Darno for the starting job. But as of now, as of today. I got to imagine going forward, Darno's still the starting guy. Yeah, no, I I agree with you on that. Um, hey, before we wrap up, what do you what else you got going on? Anything coming up? Are you going to be anywhere? Any uh, articles from uh, Metsmarize Online you want to plug and tease and what have you? What's what's uh, what's coming up for uh, Noah Wolf here at MetsmarizeOnline.com? I actually chatted with a scout uh, this pregame about Justin Dunn and Thomas the Pucky, and it was just cool to hear what a guy from a rival team thought about these low these low A-ball Mets prospects. And, of course, it's difficult to project these kinds of guys and what they're going to be at this point in their career playing in MCU Park. But it was at the same time, it was cool to uh, hear what the scout had to say about that. I'm in the process of writing that up. It should be up either sometime later today or tomorrow. Well, let me ask you this. So is, is there is – the, is the rumor that the Mets are barren in pitching the system – maybe a little bit overstated after talking to this particular scout? I'd say maybe a little. Uh, he was very reluctant to uh, be committed on anything that he said about them. Like I said, they're low A-ball guys. A lot can change in the right. next few years. But you look at uh, Justin Dunn, Thomas the Puppy, I'll throw in Harold Gonzalez, Mirandy Gonzalez. This Brooklyn Cyclones team is chock full of pitching, and it wouldn't surprise me to see at least a couple of those arms make an impact uh, in the, at the future. Can't complain about that. Noah, it's uh, been a pleasure catching up with you. we got to do this again. Um, good work on MetsmerizedOnline.com. Now, you could go on there, and you could kill me like they do about Collins. You know what you know what is <laughs> Noah about Twitter? Twitter is like the bar where you're sitting there, and you know I come on here, and I try to articulate myself, and I'm finally cooled down. But there are just times on Twitter you just get so aggravated about what's going on in front of you. It's so easy to spout off. That's why celebrities get themselves in trouble, but – um, you know, you take a little bit more of a pragmatic approach. Listen, I hope, look, for the podcast's sake, if the Mets are out of this in 10 days, I mean, you do radio, you know the deal. What the hell am I going to talk about for six weeks? I'm going to have to start looking oh. at former Mets to get on. What am I going to do for six <laughs> weeks? I mean, I'm all ears. So if this thing goes bad in the next 10 days, you, I really can't rant about Collins for six weeks. I can't. So you had any ideas of what I could do? Because I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about my uh, my September and and this is a Mets centric podcast. I can't move to the Jets. I can't talk a Rod and and the Yankees uh, or the Yankees prospects. I mean, I don't I don't know. Maybe we could do a Mets after dark transition here um, and talk yeah. about any topic uh, open the po- politics, whatever. You got any ideas for me there? Uh, as far as politics go, I would be interested in coming back on for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got to say you're in a bit of a bind. 
if, uh, as you said, in 10 days, the situation turns out, as you said, um, yeah, maybe focusing on the minor leagues, the prospects. And, I mean, yeah. I just say this from my point of view. Before coming out to these games in Brooklyn lately, I really wasn't much of a prospects guy. I choose to follow them when they make their impact at the big league level. But it's interesting to see what these guys are doing down here, and that could be an interesting approach for you to take going forward if the Mets wind up out yeah. of it. And I, I remember spending a lot of time at one point in Trenton and seeing guys like Lagaris and Curtin Neuenheis and you know, you're talking to a scout. You'd be surprised. Table what they say. Put it in your memory bank because it'll be interesting how that comes back. And sometimes it actually comes back and, and really uh, makes sense. You know, a real quick story before I let you go. You know, Curtin Neuenheis I liked in the minor leagues. You know, grinded out player, blue-collar player. I figured, you know, maybe a guy who could be uh, some kind of starter on, a, on a, a good team. And somebody had told me, look, bat is slow. It's going to be a fourth outfielder in the big leagues. And sure enough, the guy was right when you think about it. So even though we could criticize these guys and it's like shoot, putting darts and shooting darts up there, you don't know where they're going to land, there is some smoke with his fire. So you never know what comes out of it. So hopefully we're looking forward to your column about these two young arms. Hopefully the guy, if he is somewhat bullish, even though noncommittal, maybe we have something to look forward to. Thanks, Mike. Noah Wolf at I Noah Wolf on Twitter, MetsmerizedOnline.com. So uh, let's take a quick break. I'm going to wrap up right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back. Wrapping up here, MetsmerizedOnline.com's Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Just had Noah Wolf on. Check out at Wolf on Twitter. Uh, so check him out. Uh, you know, I made a couple of comments. You know, one thing I didn't get into in the opening was two things. First thing about Colin. So he goes into this whole rant about, oh, we got to do this and we got to grind that at bats and I'll find guys in Vegas. And, and then there's the quote to Mike Puma the next day, which is summarizing the team meeting, which which, which you would think would be Hey, this is unacceptable. You know, kick him in the rear end. That was what you got out of Terry Collins. And he, he basically said, he told the team, look, we're okay. I care. We're not giving up in here. Again, and, and what really bothered me, not to belabor the Collins point, was what Kevin Kernan said on the WOR 710 Mets pregame show about how Collins doesn't believe you could discipline the millennial ball players like you did ball players in the past. Why? I still feel there's too much. I'm in the trenches with you. Let's do this together. That's good. There should be, you know, us together, but you got to crack the whip here. And if they're not grinding out at bats and they're not taking this opportunity seriously, shoot, you could make the argument. And the only reason I don't, you know, I don't know his, because um, he's been in the league a certain amount of time. I don't know if you could just send him down. 
I don't know how many uh, options he has, but you can make the argument that Darno belongs in Vegas too. You really can. I know you guys are going to laugh. I mean, he's been horrible. They've already done that with him once before. And I know he'd go down there and he'd, and he'd tear the cover off the ball because he's p- facing 4A talent. But you want to talk about waking somebody up. That would wake somebody up. I can tell you that. You know, the other thing I got into with, with Noah, and I want to expand on it, because you know he's just been incredible. And I've said this after his performance last week against the, uh, the Tigers and, and also when he uh, almost no-hit the Phillies a couple of weeks back. You know, Jacob DeGrom has been by far, and I know he's only got seven wins. He has by, been by far the best Mets pitcher. And I know he's 28 years old, and like Noah said, he's under team control until his early 30s. Um, I don't know if they'd ever buy out his arbitration years and sign him to a long-term deal. He's making about a half million, $600,000, so he's a bargain right now. But i got to tell you, out of all the players, if you told me, and this was a question that was posed at the beginning of the year, who was going to have the best career? It was hard for me to say. I could have said Syndergaard. I could have said Harvey. I mean, you could even say Matt's. Um, but I really think it's going to be DeGrom because I think DeGrom has bounced back in a year where he's had some challenges physically. He's had some challenges where you know, he had a, a, a newborn who wasn't healthy, and there's always that transition. Uh, but he has been really good this year, pitched through a diminished velocity, diminished stuff period. His stuff seems to be coming back. He's striking out almost a batter per inning. Uh, he's got an ERA plus of 177, which is elite Hall of Fame level, 2.30 ERA. Uh, there's the guy. You told me need a game, need a game to, uh, either in the playoff series to get or a game in the regular season to get. DeGrom is the guy. And he showed you that yesterday. He did that. It was the Familia blew the save. So, um, you know, that to me, really he's shown me a lot. Out of all the nonsense and the garbage and the BS that we've had to uh, look at this year with this Mets club and the transition, if you can walk away, forget the playoffs for a minute. Let's just talk about this on a long-term perspective. You could walk away with three young starters who have learned something. With Harvey coming back, who's hopefully going to get past his health issues, you still have the, the nucleus of a really good rotation. And I don't care who, what anybody says. The bullpen's been good. Reed is going to be back. Familia's going to be around. You could build around that. You should be able to, in the next year to two years, be able to cobble enough offense together to be able to jump right back up and be necessarily with the Nationals, who essentially were a 500 team last year. Um, you know, where they are right now, which is 21 games over 500, look like they're going to take the division back from, a, from the Mets and the Marlins in a commanding fashion as we head into the final weeks of the season. So anyway, uh, been a fun show. Uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, going to cut it off a little bit earlier today. Um, and you know what? Let's, like I told Noah, uh, let's hope that the Mets come out of this road trip still in this because it's going to be tough for me to talk. And I don't know what to talk about the next six weeks. I might have to get into the presidential debate. Um, you know, maybe I'll talk Knicks basketball, Olympics. I mean, the Jets and the Giants have training camp. I mean, we could go and talk about Aaron Judge and Tyler Austin and the Yankees. I'm sure you guys will love that. So, listen for the for the sake of the of the of the of the Mets and this podcast. Hopefully, they stay in the race. We want them in the race as long as possible. Anyway, I want to thank Noah Wolf. You can check him out on MetsBrizeOnline.com and check him out on Twitter at i Noah Wolf at at i Noah Wolf. Um, check me out on Twitter at Mike Silver Media, and you can check out this show all the time on MetsBrizeOnline.com. Hope everybody enjoyed the show. Have a great rest of Sunday, and I'll see everybody next week.
When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your moves. Firing up the grill, having a picnic, going to a game, or the beach? Stop by Acme Markets for juicier Lancaster brand meats for the grill. Fresher cut fruits and vegetables. Tastier desserts from our bakery and all of your snack needs. This week, pick up fresh boneless skinless chicken breast for $169 a pound when you buy three pounds or more. And stop by the produce department and get six ounce containers of fresh blackberries, blueberries, or raspberries. Buy one, get one free. Acme, your new favorite local supermarket.